audience participation here. Uh, raise your hand. Now, listen carefully. Raise your hand if you did not know until you were older that dominoes was an actual game and not just for setting up elaborate domino topping runs. Did you not, did you not know that? I did not know dominoes was a game. I, I was probably married with children before I realized when people say let's play dominoes, they were talking about an actual game. I thought every time mom and dad were just going and setting them up on the thing or whatever, I, I did not. Uh, okay, here, here's another one. Um, raise your hand if you just learned a second ago um, that setting up dominoes on their end is actually called domino topping. Did you know, you didn't know that? Okay, yeah, so you did learn something today. You're welcome. Um, do, do you remember, now I'm assuming that, that most of you at some point in your life set up dominoes on their end and, and hit them and they went, went down. Does everybody do that at some point in your life? I, I think so. Um, uh, do you remember setting up those dominoes very, very carefully? There was a lot of tension involved in that, right? Because like you knew that if, if you had siblings, if somebody came down the stairs, like pounding down the stairs or somebody slammed a door or the cat came in the room, all your work could just be done. And, and you would have to start over. Like, it was always the, the tension. I, I watch videos today of those guys like on social media and they put those huge elaborate domino things and they set them all up and I'm like, how can they? Like surely they were the last two dominoes and somebody comes in and they just went. And then it's over, like your life is over basically at that, at that point. It's terrible, the tension in, in that moment, knowing that everything you've spent hours working for could just be gone in a, a second. And, and, and then there was that, that huge release that you felt as this chain of events was set in motion that would cause all of your family who you had gathered in the room to ooh and, and awe as each domino was struck by the one before it and then struck the next and the next and, then, and the next and, and you got to watch with pride as exactly what you had imagined actually turns out. It actually happens. And, and that, that moment in the middle where you know like this could either be incredibly glorious or it could be terribly disastrous. If one domino is just out of place and then it stops in the middle. And I, there was nothing worse for me as a kid getting everybody together to watch my domino run and then in the middle having to start it again because one domino was off to the side or something. It didn't quite hit the next one exactly like it was supposed to and they split and it didn't go to the next thing and oh, I was crushed and I had to get in there and do it again. But I think nothing Nothing compares with the moment as you get ready to begin, as your finger inches closer and closer to pushing over that very first domino, the anticipation of that moment. Consider for a minute all the events in life that have been set in motion because of just one simple little domino. 
According to the website, sevenstrangethings.com, if Adolf Hitler would have been accepted into art school, the whole trajectory of his life would have been different. That one event, not getting into art school, changed history and the lives and families of countless people. It was that first domino to fall in what would eventually become World War II and all that Adolf Hitler did. Think back in your own life for a minute. Can you think of an event in your life that set in motion a chain of events that brought you to a certain place, that changed your life in some way? I was a sophomore in high school getting ready to go into the second semester uh, in Oregon. There were lots of things I was getting ready to do when my parents decided they were going to leave South Central Oregon and they were going to drive all the way across the country to Joplin, Missouri. And dad was going to have a sabbatical from the ministry and they were going to attend Ozark Christian College for a semester. And my mom's words were, I can't bear to think of being in the Midwest, away from the greater Northwest, which is where she was born and raised, without my baby. So I had to go. Now they bribed me to go halfway across the country by letting me be a part of a singing group at Ozark Christian College, a high school um, group. And I reluctantly went to this. I, I knew nobody, I knew nothing that was going on. But the second day of that, uh, that event at Ozark, I remember I ran up the stairs to the upper level of the cafeteria. And as I, I my head just kind of popped up over the top, I saw this beautiful blonde girl with this gorgeous smile. And uh, a few days later, I told these buddies that I had just made, I'm going to marry that girl. And then I didn't talk to her for two years. <laughs> and, and then we wrote some letters. And then we came back out here to go to school. And 14 months later, we're married. And later this year, we'll celebrate 33 years. So um, one little domino, this whole big e event and all of these things can be changed. Sometimes the most life-altering events are begun by the most unlikely of incidents. And of course, I moved this and now it doesn't work anymore. Where's DJ at? <laughs> DJ's the one I always, always call on. You wanna come fix this, buddy? Thank you. Look at all these people here, you know, family. Let's pretend like we know what we're doing. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. This is what happens when you're an engineer. You get, you get called on to fix uh, simple things that the preacher doesn't know about. <laughs> uh, so, um, ooh, hey. Something happened, DJ. See, I knew you could do it. Let's see if it, let's see if it actually, nope. It didn't work. I just, just squat down there and hold that. The whole the whole time. Oh well, I'll let him worry about that. Sometimes, sometimes the most life-altering event is begun by the most unlikely incident. 
Today, we're going to look at an event that happened right after what's called the triumphal entry in, in the Bible. It's the end of Jesus' last journey back to Jerusalem. It's really where Jesus' journey to the cross begins. And you know, the beginning of this week on, on Sunday, as Jesus made his way into Jerusalem, nobody but Jesus had any idea of what was gonna transpire the next few days. By Friday, Jesus would be dead. And, and so Jesus comes into Jerusalem. It's called the triumphal entry because Jesus has just come off bringing Lazarus back from the dead, right? This is a big buzz in the city. They've come into the city from all over the country. It's this big pilgrimage to come back to Jerusalem for the Passover. The city's a buzz because of, because of Lazarus and Jesus and his disciples begin to make their way into Jerusalem from Bethany, the city just outside of town. And Jesus has his disciples go in and get a small colt of a donkey that had never been ridden, and he sits on it, and he comes into Jerusalem on this donkey. Now, there's a lot of things happening here that, that I think we sometimes miss. And we miss because we're not in the culture of the day. A king returning from victory on the battlefield would ride into the city on a great stallion, white stallion, and the people of the city would come out to the main street leading to the castle, and, and they would line the, the road with palm branches. They would take off their outer cloaks and throw them on the ground. They would cheer and yell as the victorious king came back into town. Now that's the exact same picture we see with Jesus making his way into Jerusalem, except he's not riding on this this great horse. He's on this small, humble donkey. And he's not riding in as this conquering king. He's, he's coming in as a sacrifice. And he rides into town and the people line the streets and they lay their palm branches down and they throw their cloaks down and they cheer and they shout and it's this great party and everybody thinks Jesus is here to save the day and yet five days later they're standing in the courtyard of the Roman provincial leader and they're shouting crucify him, crucify him. Only Jesus knows what's going to happen. When the religious leaders saw Jesus entering into the city that day, they said in disgust, look, the world, the whole world has gone after him. It's this crazy moment. And, and it's this event, Jesus coming into the city victoriously, and, and the, the Pharisees and the religious leaders sparking this envy that leads John to write what he writes next in chapter 12. Is that working, by the way? That's not even, maybe that's not working. All right, nothing's working. Well, just follow along. Oh, by the way, you go to reallifecc.us on your mobile device. Uh, you can scroll down and click on the My Message Notes link and, and all the notes, scriptures and all that stuff will be in there. Uh, for now, John chapter 12, uh, verses 20 to 28. Um, so if you have your mobile phone, you can just go there, go there as well. Boy. Uh, okay. Verse 20. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast, this was the Passover that Jesus has come into Jerusalem to celebrate, were some Greeks. Just keep that in, in your mind. It's an important part of this story, Greeks. 
So these Greeks, they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee. Philip's name, by the way, is a, is a Greek name. So he was a, a Jew, but he had a Greek name. And they said to him, sir, we wish to see Jesus. And so Philip gets this message from these Greeks who had come to him, and he goes and tells another disciple, Andrew, and then Andrew and Philip, Andrew takes Philip, and they go and tell Jesus, hey, Jesus, there's these guys from Greece who want to see you. And Jesus answered them. This is really weird. Jesus answers them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice from heaven came and said, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. Now, I don't know if you uh, caught it, but this seems like a, a really, really important moment to Jesus, right? I mean, he starts out his reply to, to them, he starts out this reply like the hour has come and the Son of Man is gonna be glorified. It's like this really important moment to Jesus and yet as the reader, we have absolutely no idea why. Okay, so these guys, these Greeks come and they, they come and they talk to Philip and they wanna see Jesus and then for some reason Philip goes to Andrew I don't understand why he does that. And then Andrew takes Philip and they both go to Jesus. They tell Jesus that these Greeks are here and Jesus pays absolutely no attention to it. Did you notice that? Like at no point does Jesus say, oh yeah, cool, bring them in. Let's have a chat. No, he goes on this whole other thing. The hour has come. These Greeks who ask Philip if they can see Jesus, what they're really asking is, we'd like an audience with Jesus. We'd like to, to talk with, with Jesus. And, and I think there's a little bit more going on here. I, I think these Greek people, they, they saw Philip, they heard his name maybe, they thought, okay, here's an inn for us. This is a Greek name. Maybe we've got a little, uh, an inn. I don't know if you've ever met anybody important, but it's always nice to know somebody who knows somebody to get you there. And so these guys come to Philip and, and, and they, they get, Philip is like, okay, great, you wanna see Jesus. But Philip just doesn't go to Jesus and I don't know why, we're not told why. Philip goes to Andrew and then Andrew goes and like everybody wants to see Jesus, right? Jesus is the guy who just brought Lazarus back from the dead after four days. Like Jesus is an important guy. And yet we know, because we've read the story, that thousands of people have come and they've wanted to see Jesus. They've wanted to talk to Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He talks to them. Like there's nothing in between. There's, there's, no, there's no hierarchy. There's no how to get to Jesus. It's just somebody comes and get to Jesus. Terry preached a few weeks ago for us and, and he talked about blind Bartimaeus and he's sitting on the side of the road and Jesus walks by and, and Bart just shouts out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stops and says, bring him over. Let's have a conversation. It's completely different from what happens here 
in John chapter 12. Everybody wants a moment with King Jesus and yet every other time it's no big deal except this time. This time they don't go to Jesus, they go to Philip and then Philip goes to Andrew and then Andrew thinks that it must be a big enough deal to be elevated. Like you know when you're on the phone with tech support and and the person goes, yeah, I can't help you. I'm gonna have to elevate your call, but to elevate your issue. That's kind of what's happening. Philip's like, okay, you want to see Jesus? I don't know if I can make that decision myself. So he goes to Andrew, and then Andrew's like, okay, I think it passes the test. I think we need to go to Jesus, but Philip, you come with me, because you're the one that talked to him, and we'll go see Jesus and, and, and see what it's like. And so Andrew goes to Jesus with, with Philip. He's like, hey, Jesus, look, um, there's these guys who want to see you, and uh, they just like a few minutes of your time. I don't really know what they want to talk to you about, but, but Philip, he's the guy that, that spoke to him, and so maybe he could give you some more information, and, and, and then Philip came to me, and then, well, I thought it was worth bringing to you, and so maybe you want to meet with them, and, and like, by the way, they appear to be from, from Greece, and then Jesus immediately breaks into this like super crazy response. You can almost hear him like on the stage of, of a high school play like, like some Shakespearean thing. And Jesus is up there and it's this really d- dramatic moment and he says, he says, the hour has come. The hour has come. It is time for the Son of Man to be glorified, Mercutio. Is that good? Mercutio's Romeo's friend, by the way. I don't know about Shakespeare, Romeo and Juliet, but he's his buddy, gets him out of trouble. <laughs> Why does, Jesus, why does John tell us that, that Philip gets Andrew in, involved and then they, they both go to, to Jesus? It is just strange. And then, and then Jesus in the text, he never seems to address or speaks to, speak to these Greek people. Hey, maybe we're getting closer. Never seems to speak to these Greek. Well, here's what I, here's what I think. Shortly after Jesus was born... Matthew tells us in his gospel that wise men from the east came to see Jesus. He was a a young child at that point, maybe two years old or or younger. And so they weren't there like at his birth, but shortly after his birth, these wise men from the east come to see Jesus. Now at the end of Jesus' ministry, shortly before his death, John tells us that some men from the west have come to see Jesus. Jesus, to speak with him a moment. I think that Jesus recognizes that, that there's not just his fame that has spread across the, the world, but belief in him as the Messiah. These Greeks seem to, if you read the text, they seem to come because they believe Jesus might be the one. And they're excited to see. It's a big moment for them. They've come a long way. And so it wasn't just the Jews who you would expect to believe Jesus was the Messiah. It wasn't just the Romans who had watched all of the things that Jesus had done in that area of the the country. They ruled everything anyway. It wasn't just the people who were there who should have known, who should have recognized Jesus as the Messiah, who should be worshiping him. If the Greeks know, If the Greeks are putting their faith in Jesus as the Messiah, then the whole world is ready to hear and to know. 
And so Jesus goes into this little mini sermon um, towards the end of the text. He says, um, okay, you're going to have to, like all this was supposed to be up here and it was going to be really cool and you're going to like it, but uh, I have to go back in my notes now and figure it out. Okay, <laughs> so Jesus gives this, this little mini um, Many sermon. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Here's what um, is important. He says, whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If you serve me, the Father will honor you. So Jesus says, you gotta serve and you gotta follow and then you'll be with me. So to serve means to practice Jesus' principles, to do the things that, that Jesus did, to, to observe what he's doing and then do it. And then what did Jesus do? Well, Jesus really just did two things in his life. He loved God. He was obedient to him. He did everything that his father asked him to do. He loved God and he loved others. So to serve Jesus, to serve God, means that we love God by loving others. That's what we do. And so to serve means to practice Jesus' principles of loving God by loving others. To follow Jesus means that we walk in his footsteps which means we're willing to go wherever we see Jesus going. <laughs> That's not part of it. <laughs> and where, where was Jesus going in John chapter 12? Jesus was going to the cross. He was going to sacrifice his life for others as the greatest act of love the world has ever seen. And so Jesus, knowing what's gonna come at the end of this week, he says, look, you gotta serve me and you gotta follow me even if it means you gotta give up your own life to do it. And, and I don't think Jesus was saying, look, you gotta go to a cross for every other person. But he was saying when there's an opportunity to serve somebody, you serve. When there's an opportunity to love somebody, you love them. Because this is what Jesus did. He loved God by serving others and he took that to the ultimate extreme by giving his own life. To sacrifice his life for others as this incredible act of love. And so the goal of serving and following Jesus is that ultimately we will be where Jesus is. Where is Jesus? Jesus, scripture tells us, is with the Father. He came and he lived and he died and he rose again, thank goodness, and he went to be with the Father. And so he says, look, if you follow me, if you serve me, then the Father will honor you and you will get to be with me, which is with him. And that's a big deal. Jesus knew what was coming, though. He knew the pain and the torture and the emotional struggle that was coming, and so he's honest in the text. He says, my soul is troubled. That's a deep trouble. You ever felt that kind of trouble in your soul? You say, my soul is troubled. I have no idea what to do. 
I think when our son was first diagnosed, when they first gave the word autism, we, we were troubled in our soul. We had no idea what to expect, no idea what the future would bring, no idea what, what he would become. And so we're troubled when we have a child that's in, in pain and we don't know what to do. When a friend or a family member gets the diagnosis and we don't know what to do, we're troubled in our soul. <laughs> Not time for that yet either. This is, going, this is going great. Welcome to real life, people. This is the way, this is the way it is. Uh, his troubled soul, though, doesn't motivate Jesus to stop following God's lead. Instead, Jesus recognizes in this soul-troubling moment even in this moment of pain, he recognizes he is filling a greater purpose. In fact, he says it is for this purpose at the end of John 12 in that text, it is for this purpose that I have come to this moment. Jesus recognized that all the pain he was about to face, the torture and the death were gonna serve a greater purpose for us. Jesus' ultimate goal, whether by his life or death, he says is to glorify the Father's name. And so he comes down to this, um, comes down to the end. Hey, I think you got it. Did you get it? I think, I think you got it. Uh, yeah, almost. I think the next one, if it works, is maybe... Where, oh, yeah, son of man to be, nope, that didn't work, okay. It worked, it worked here. Okay, anyway, glorify his father's name. So Jesus comes to this moment, his soul is troubled, the Greeks have, have come, it's this big deal, um, and, and Jesus said all of this comes down to this one thing, that whether in pain or, or purpose, whether it, I'm, I'm facing a good time or a bad time, my goal is to glorify the Father's name. Now, I, I think there's two things that, that this leads us to this morning. First of all, we have several people who are ready to go public with their faith and do exactly what Jesus is, is talking about, to serve and to follow by being o obedient. Yeah, it's time, Susie. Okay, thank you. <laughs> uh, and, and then ultimately, what Jesus says is, if you serve and you follow, then you get to be with me. And so we have several people today ready to take that step to go public with their faith and be baptized to serve and to follow Jesus. And so if you came today, if you're one of those people who came to be baptized, it's time to either get ready or just make your way over to the... Um, east side of the auditorium this morning. The second thing I want to do today is share my heart just a little bit uh, with you. When Jesus hears that the Greeks have come to speak with them, I, I think the reason this is a powerful moment is because he recognizes that the first domino has been toppled and it will set in motion a painful yet purposeful series of events for him personally.
Last Wednesday night, a different domino toppled that set a a similar series of events um, in motion for us as Real Life Church. The, The first thing that happened is that the city rejected our offer to purchase the Civic Center. And apparently they won't consider another offer from us unless it is potentially at the million dollar mark. So the city is considering other options for this building. And while we are welcome to stay here for the time being, I think it's safe to say that our welcome is wearing out. We simply do not have the money to offer more than say $500,000 for this building. Honestly, we don't have the finances to buy property and then pay for that property while we continue to rent a space where we can meet. We don't have the money to build anything that would be big enough to hold us or to handle any growth in, um, in the future, any room for us to grow. And so the reality here is that there are no good options, at least that I am currently aware of, based on our present financial system, situation. We do have some money in the bank. We have been offered uh, a loan up to $500,000. And I think maybe we could get some more, but I don't think we would be able currently to make that happen um, moving forward with those payments. And so I'm here today to tell you just um, quite frankly that uh, I am out of ideas. (laughs) I see no good options my soul in this matter is troubled. And so what do we do? What do we do next? That's what everybody wants to know. That's what our leadership team was texting about for a very long time while I was in Idaho this week with my my family. What do we do? Do we just... um, ask God to get us out of this, like just, like just take us away. What Jesus said in, in, in John 12, do I, do I just say, God, take me away? Do we just hang it up and, and say, well, we tried and, uh, and we didn't get anywhere? Because it's difficult. Do we just bail? I mean, honestly, there's about 30 other churches in town. We're not the only one. Or I wonder if maybe we recognize that there may be purpose in this pain. Maybe like Jesus, we say, Father, it's not about us. It's about you and it's about others. And it always has been. And so what we're gonna do, Father, whether we have a place to call home or not, we're gonna serve you. We're gonna follow you. And then through us, would you just glorify your name like only you can do? And I got to tell you that um, right now, <laughs> I feel like it's, it's that Good Friday. I feel like our dream and plans have died, that there is no hope. Honestly, I feel terrible for getting your hopes up by affirming what I had been told, that we had bought a building. You remember how we all cheered that day and how exciting that was? (laughs) 
I feel terrible for leading us on what appears to have been a wild goose chase. I feel terrible that we still have no home. The, the height of my excitement at the, at the thought of owning this building is now matched only by the depth of my despair that it appears to have come to nothing. But I know what happens on Sunday. I know that what appears to be the end of everything that we hoped for could just be the beginning of things we never dreamed. And so I know that even though I can't see what to do next, where to go next, what decision to make next, I know that if God is for us, who can be against us? Like Jesus waiting for the Greeks to believe, I'm waiting for the first next domino to topple. And I don't know how or what or when, I think our only response is to say, Father, glorify your name as we serve and follow your son. And so we're gonna do that today. We're gonna do what we've done for the last nearly 11 years. We're gonna continue to serve. We're gonna continue to follow. And I think today we've got about six people who are ready to be baptized. That means on average, over the last 16 years, we've seen about 10 people go public with their faith every year. Now, you go, well, that's, that's less than one a month. The average church sees one person baptized every year. So, good job, real life. <laughs> good job serving and following Good job telling your friends and your family about what God is doing here. Thank you. Thank you for serving and following. That's what we're going to continue to do today by welcoming some more people into the family of God through baptism.